Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to our second episode of Timeless Wealth. Uh, today we wanted to introduce the topic of three secrets to successful investing. And I have Amy and Sean here, and they've got a lot to share with us today. Uh, basically, the three secrets are uh, compounding your money over time, uh, waiting, waiting it out in times of uh, upheaval, such as the times that we live in now, and successful wealth transfer from one generation to the next. So we're going to right away kick it off in, in light of compounding and in light of current political and market events, this is one we really wanted to talk about. Uh, basically, along the lines of buying, for example, when everyone is selling, uh, buying low and waiting it out. But um, I'm going to right away jump into it and kick it to, uh, to either Amy or Sean. Amy, you can probably start if you like and talk to us about the first secret to successful investing. Well, I think when we talk about compounding, you know, often, you know, you'd have parents who say, start young, start early, right? You hear that advice all the time. And it's like, well, what, what does that mean? And so what we've actually found is if you do start early, and if you look at Warren Buffett, his net worth, it's like you start so early on, it doesn't have to be a huge amount, but just slowly putting money in. And then the compounding, which is you're making money on your money, on top, on top, it continues to grow. And so that whole idea of time in the market and time isn't on your side, it's start early. Yeah, and first, and first off, I want to wish everyone a, who, who is actually observing a very happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone. Um, you know, the interesting thing about compounding, you know, Warren Buffett calls it the eighth wonder of the world for a reason, because it's very subtle in the very beginning, and it creeps up on you. And then by the time you reach out 20 or 30 years, it has an enormous impact. It's almost like a tsunami of power behind your economic wealth. And, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that Warren, you know, if you watch the, uh, the series Becoming Warren Buffett, his children talked about growing up not very wealthy. They didn't realize they were wealthy. And the reason being is they really weren't that wealthy compared to where Warren Buffett is today. In fact, Warren Buffett achieved 99.9% .9 of his wealth after the age of 52. Mm -hmm. But he didn't change the strategy. He didn't go from being a conservative investor to an aggressive investor or an aggressive investor to a conservative investor. He held fast to the same tenets of owning great businesses that reward shareholders for their ownership for years and years and years. And he never let the world around him head fake him out of his strategy. So from what I understand, you're saying that Warren Buffett's strategy in this specific situation was he bought AAA stocks, amazing stocks, and he just held it over time and allowed it to compound? Is, is, is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, and, and he would look for certain characteristics in the businesses. He didn't call them stocks. He actually rarely does he call a company that he owns a stock. Mm -hmm. He calls them businesses. And he looked for certain characteristics in the businesses that he owned. And what it amounted to primarily is, is this a long-term franchise that produces a good or service that if he looks out 20 years, it's still going to be around being consumed at the same or a greater rate than what is being you know, consumed today. Mm -hmm. So in doing so, he would buy companies that have real franchise stability and basically permeate the population in a very ubiquitous fashion. So I'll, I'll give you an example. He's a famous, he's a famously uh, a majority shareholder of Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is he just looked around and saw a lot of people drinking Coca-Cola no matter where he traveled around the world. And so mm -hmm. he bought that company and not all of it. He's a, you know, he's a minority shareholder, but I think he is the largest shareholder of Coca-Cola. He's owned it for years and years and years, and he's made a lot of money. Now, in any given year, you might not see it. Coca-Cola sometimes underperforms other share, other share prices in terms of appreciation. 
Other years it does very, very well. But what it has done over the years is increase its dividend about 500% while the time, you know, over the time of Warren Buffett's own money. And that's what he looks at. Stability when you of earning look at dividend. owning a, a business, as Sean is saying, when you think about owning a business, the, the idea of getting in and out, depending on what's going on, you know, around the world, it, that's not how a business operates, right? So a business, you have to take the long view. They're trying to execute a longer term plan. And so if you do your research and understand the companies you own, what they do, the products they make, and you can stay invested despite all the ups and downs of the daily movements of the market, that's where the compounding will start to take hold, especially if you can look at companies that pay dividends. Even during very difficult markets, a lot of companies tend not to cut their dividends and it quietly ticks away. So you get that many more dollars, even though the share price might be down, you get that many more dollars coming in so that when the market does eventually recover, and it will at some point, you have that many more dollars to participate on the upside. What's a good timeline? Like if you're given, if you're given unlimited time, almost any business can probably succeed, right? Like I can put my money into any business and within with an infinite amount of time, infinite amount of time, sorry, it will probably succeed. So, what's a good timeline as long-term investors? How long should they wait on their money? Like, what 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 are your guys' thoughts? So, well, I, what I, is Warren Buffett's strategy, for instance? I first off would politely disagree with you that any business given enough time will succeed. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. There's a myriad of businesses that have not succeeded over time. I mean, when I was growing up, I used to shop at a company called Woolworth. Have you shopped at a Woolworth lately? No. The tool is it the tools company? No, it's, it was a department store. Oh no, I'm very no. large across Canada. But I can argue that you have a shop there. You have a shop there no, because I, it's I, no longer around. Or yeah, you know, remember like the great business uh, Eaton's. You shopped at Eaton's lately? No. So there's all, and I'm just using two easy examples. Uh, there's lots of businesses that don't succeed. So, so it's not that easy where you just buy any business and hold it long enough and you make money. So, you know, what Warren Buffett does is he looks for businesses that, you know, I use the term, once they stick the needle in you, you can't get it out. You know, like, so for instance, he's one of the largest share owners of Apple. Well, I'm a share owner of Apple. I also use Apple and there's no way, like if, if you put a gun in my hand and said, switch your whole family from Apple to Samsung, I'd have to take the bullet because I don't know how to do it. So I'm now a prisoner of Apple. Apple can raise their prices over and over and over again. There's lots of companies like that. Amazon Prime is another one where they could continue to raise their prices and we're gonna have, have to, as a consumer, take that price increase because there's no alternative to the service that they offer, mm -hmm. a reasonable alternative. So that's the first thing. I think secondly, you know, if you own a great business, uh, once you've identified it, Warren Buffett always said that the idea of holding time is forever. He doesn't really put a time, time horizon on it. Now, that could seem glib, but that's what he says. And Charlie Munger reinforces that all the time. And, and I think the third thing, the final thing, the final thing I'll say, where Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett are very good at is the behavioral aspect of investing. In that they understand that how you invest within the environment of the financial markets is very counter to how emotionally you feel and act in your day-to-day -day life. Okay, so bringing it back then, this concept of compounding holding, or sorry, buying and holding, in light of um, you know what's happening around the world now in, in March 2022, Russia, Ukraine, and the United States, and the stock market, 
has been going down and down. It goes up for one day, down for three, four days. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about that. How, 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 how does the concept of compounding there fit in into current market and geopolitical events? What we encourage our clients to do, so all of them have a financial plan. So we've gone through this process of, we've planned for these types of crises, whether it's this one or another one in future, they will continue to happen at all times you know, in, in their lifetime, whether they're working, whether they're in re- approaching retirement or in retirement, those things will happen. But then it's also looking at the, the actual companies that they own. So getting comfortable with what are you invested in? Do you understand what you're invested in? And a lot of our job is to, to describe this to clients. And our hope is that when they open their statements and as horrible as the ups and downs may feel, they can still point to the individual businesses and say, well, I understand Costco. I was shopping there yesterday. Or I understand Apple. I'm using my phone today. Or I've used my MasterCard today. You're still seeing these businesses operate despite the horrible you know, tragedy that's going on. These businesses are still continuing to grow and to make money. And, and you know, to reinforce that, I think, you know, one of the things when I talk about, you know, investing is very challenging or how we want to, you know, how we like to react emotionally day to day. You know, when you get up in the morning, the first thing you want to do is, typically speaking, I'm by no means a psychologist, but this is my understanding of this, you want to avoid pain and you want to maximize pleasure. And, you know, so that means, for instance, I'm not going to put my hand on a, you know, a burner on the top of a stove because that's going to hurt me. But what I'm probably going to do is have a nice shower, you know, in the morning and make myself feel good coming out of that shower. Investing is actually quite the opposite to that. Mm -hmm. In that the best times to invest are when it hurts the most because prices are lower and it's always better to buy them buy when prices are lower than when prices are higher. I mean, it's, it's obvious when I say this, but it's hard to emotionally reconcile it is lower prices beget higher returns, higher prices beget lower returns. But when times are tough, the news headlines are scary. It's very natural for people to go, I, I don't want to, you know, wander into this. You have to agree. It's definitely, it's definitely, Easier to say than, than, than do. It is easier to say. For sure. That's why most people aren't billionaires like Warren Buffett. Because he would do the opposite. In fact, he, he and Charlie Munger famously say, when you know, when everyone's greedy, be fearful. And when everyone's fearful, be greedy. And it's hard to do. I mean, and, you know, the other, and I, I don't mean to, to, to cast light on what's going on, uh, you know, in the Ukraine, because it's an absolutely horrible situation. But Sir John Templeton famously said, he's, he's, a, he's the great mutual fund investor, uh, one of the greatest investors of all time, arguably. He always said that the best time to, to invest is when the bullets are flying. He, he said that famously, that's a quote. And he's not wrong, it's, it's, but it's hard to reconcile that for the average person, all of us here included, when mm-hmm. the news headlines are heavy, you're reading all sorts of shrill things that are happening, you really don't see a way out. And, the, you know, Lainey, you always famously say, too, like, the, the market won't give you no clear sign. No. When it's ready There's to There's no to big drive flag higher. saying, okay, it's safe, get back on the ride. <laughs> that doesn't happen. So so what does that mean for the typical investor? Well, the second best thing you can do in an environment like this, and this is assuming that you're not speculating. This is assuming that you're properly, you know, properly diversified on, you know, based on asset class by geography and so forth, by sector, et cetera. The second best thing you can do in this environment is do nothing. Because as Amy said, these companies are managing through these situations. If you own abundantly profitable companies, they'll figure out how to stay profitable and even increase their profitability in times when they're challenging. 
So that's the second best thing you can do. Just get up. The best thing you can do, and you're never going to time this perfectly, is recognize within yourself that if you're buying great long-term franchise companies at lower prices, it's better to do it when prices are lower than when prices are higher. And to actually invest in a careful way in each kind of product. So reflecting on, like, like you guys have been um, advisors and managers for a while now, uh, I mean, I don't want to ask you exactly how did you deal with the OA crisis with your uh, with your clients, but or even even the the meltdown in twenty twenty, like because because of the COVID meltdown, um, and in light of also what you said that there's really no green green light, you know that okay guys, the market's going to go up, even though maybe a technical analyst would probably say that there's some indicators, right? Sure. Name me, name me one technical analyst who's a billionaire. Touche. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> Touche. I think, I think coming out of 2008 was a very interesting time because I think, I know particularly, I learned a heck of a lot in 2008 because to Sean's point, it was really a time that tested investors, right? It was, it was very dramatic. The drops were very dramatic. It lasted a long period of time. And you could really see how people responded to that. Like, can you imagine you're approaching retirement, you're ready to say, I'm ready to step away and, you know, hit the golf course or, you know, get out onto the beach and enjoy. And then you're watching your portfolio, no fault of your own. They could be really great companies, but they're getting cut in half. That was really, really, really scary. Not only for us, you know, as an, as advisors and for our clients, it was terrifying for them. And so what I learned a lot coming out of that is having a financial plan. The clients that had a financial plan during that period, and we're happy to say our clients did, they stuck with it. As horrible as it felt, to Sean's point, they had their hand on that burner and it felt awful but they stuck through it. And again, no flag to say market's turning, it's gonna get better. It just turned and if you were not invested, you totally missed out. And our clients made all their money back the following year. Like that's how quickly it can turn. So, you know, when you talk about compounding, if you're trying to get out and then trying to get back in, you're never gonna be able to time it. You're always gonna convince yourself it's gonna go lower, it's gonna go lower and you'll talk yourself out of it and it's a very natural thing to do. So it's don't don't make that part of the equation. And, and timing the market and, and just how difficult it is, Joel, that, that's not anecdotal. I mean, mm -hmm. the evidence is, is, is abundantly clear. If you if you look at any general financial market, be the S&P TSX or the S&P 500, and you look at it like it's 20, 30, or 40 years of market data, it's abundantly clear that, and I'll use the S&P 500 as an example, you know, over, over time, if you invest in the S&P 500, I think they're compounding in around 11% a year. But if you miss the, the, the best 10 trading days over that 25 or 30 year span, your rate of return drops from 11 to six. You miss the best 20 trading days of that 20 year span, your, your rate of return drops from six to four. I mean, those might not be the exact numbers, but that's the magnitude yeah. of it. Uh -huh. And if you miss the best 50 trading days, you made no money. So, and, and you don't know when those trading days are gonna occur. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's more of a, a macro look at the markets and time in the market rather than timing the market. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you know that you own great companies, yeah, their share prices are going to go up and down. And then, you know, one of the great things about the financial markets is it's, it's a very liquid market that you can 
reflect news very quickly in the, in the asset values of the securities. You can get your money out if you need it very, very quickly. The bad side of it is that you see the price be marked to market by the second. Mm -hmm. Versus when you buy a real estate property or you buy some other more liquid assets, you, you tend to hold on them for a long period of time because you just don't know yeah. where the prices are going. Like you don't get panicked out about the fluctuation in the prices because you just don't know what it is until you sell it. You even journey back a couple of years ago when the <clears throat> pandemic hit. Like think of the unknown. We hadn't gone through a pandemic. So what does that look like? So again, talking to clients, a lot of people deferred retirement. They were talking about, you know, this is the year I'm going to retire. Pandemic hit. It was, uh-oh, unknown, market's down. Their behavior was, I don't think I can step away. I, I need to I need to keep working because now I'm worried. And that's a very natural thing. But again, going through that planning process, I can't emphasize how important that is because it's going to happen again when they're retired. At some point they will retire and it might be when the markets are high and they're feeling good, but at some point it's going to happen again. Well, and that relates, Amy, to, you know, it's a natural human behavior that when times are really good, mm -hmm. you become overly exuberant. When times are not so good, you become overly despondent. And, you know, and, and, and what happens is, and this is a very natural thing, is a recency bias comes into play. And what that really means in simplest form is you project out for a long period of time the scenario that you find yourself in today. Mm -hmm. So if things are great, you think things are going to be great forever when, when we know they're not going to be. Conversely, mm -hmm. if things are really bad, you think things are going to be bad forever when we know they're not going to be. You know, like there's a lot of heavy news out there, even talking about the potential of a, of a final outcome in, in the battle between Russia and Ukraine, um, which is, I suppose, possible. I can't predict whether that will happen or not, just as much as I can't predict that a meteor is going to fall out of the sky and wipe out Dallas, Texas in the next six months. I don't think that will happen, but it mm -hmm. could. So these are the kind of things that you have to, you know, put, put to your side and say, okay, at the end of the day, when you get up, does that change what you're going to buy, how you're going to, you know, spend, so on and so forth, and then map that across billions of people trying to make their lives better each and every day. Mm -hmm. In a couple of minutes or less, then, what this whole secret to, the, to this, what we spoke about today, um, that the secret to investment, buying low, waiting it out, compounding, two minutes or <laughs> We less. covered a lot in a very short period of time, but I guess the, the idea is start early, Right, the time yeah. and having that compounding take hold, and not, don't panic during difficult times. Don't try to get yeah. in and out and in and out, and, and, and you'll, you'll never be able to do it successfully. So, own good businesses that you understand you're comfortable owning and let time take hold. And then recognize that compounding is all around you, mm -hmm. and you're either compounding positively and moving forward, or yeah. you're compounding negatively and moving backwards. So you know, keep, you know, always be focused on the positive compounding and just and realize that it's there, it's happening. It may not feel like it in the moment, but it's, it's, it's moving, it's moving the needle. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to build off what you said, Amy, I'm 32 and I, I honestly wish I started, uh, I started early. Like I still, you know, maybe put five, 10 grand when I was about 20 years old, but it's a, I think it's an important thing to start early. And just uh, weigh things out as you guys. Uh, and even the smallest amount, because to Sean's point, the positivity will take hold. It's like somebody that's trying to lose weight, right? The scale's not moving yeah. right away, and you're getting frustrated. But then you see it move. Then you work harder, and it comes off faster. The same yeah. thing, you know, with investing. All of a sudden, you see, oh, you know, my twenty bucks a month 
hey, wait a second, this is great. I can save a little bit more. And you start to build up the momentum and it really adds up. And the, and the difficulty too with compounding, especially when you're young, because it's so subtle, but it, it, the simple reality is if you're compounding properly, you're wealthiest the day before you die. Mm -hmm. It's at the end. It's not at the beginning. And that's the hard thing to conceptualize. And again, movies make it seem like you're you're rich the whole time, the whole way. <laughs> Warren, Warren Buffett right now is the uh, fifth largest, or fifth wealthiest person in the world. Um, he'd probably be the second wealthiest person in the world, but he's given a lot of his money away. Um, yeah. And he is 91 years old. And again, 99.9% or 99.7% of his net worth was accrued after the age of 52. But that's, that's awesome, I think. All right. Uh, anything else you guys want to add? No. No. That's good. Happy St. Patty's Day, everybody. <laughs> Happy St. Patty's Day, everyone.